It's great to see you, family. I've missed you. And uh, people asked me how I was feeling this morning, my wife and, and Russ, and they said, how are you feeling? And I was actually feeling a lot more nervous than usual to talk in front of folks. And I realized it's because I'm wildly out of practice. So if you guys could do me a favor, if you could either frame your face in a box or turn into Helvetica 12-point font, that would be great. Um, because that's pretty much how I've interacted with humans for the last 18 months. Um, and the other problem is we've been talking a lot about the Spirit of God, the, the one who is over the water. And so I want to take a moment to say there's so much today that has like connected to what I'm hoping we can talk about, which is so awesome and beautiful. And then it also means that as I started walking up here, God goes, so really, everything's set up nicely. The only person that can screw this up is you. Um, so I will hope to avoid any screw-ups. Um, so my name's John, for those of you beautiful people that are new that I have not got to meet yet, and I'm an elder here at Newcom, and it is one of the great joys of my life to serve this community. Um, and one of the things I have always loved about Newcom, when I meet with folks and, and we talk about church and their life and faith and who Jesus is for them, one of the things that always comes up with folks is that they love Newcom because it's this place where they can ask really hard questions, and they're not expected to have the answers all the time. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about that, about who we have been. Um, I love that we're going to have a storytelling Sunday. Um, and I've been thinking as we are sort of emerging out of this pandemic, um, or maybe going back into one, um, that regardless, we're going to enter into a time of like incredibly sustained social unrest. Um, we live in a culture that's fueled by certainty and distrust. Um, and I think for new community to, to stay the place that it has been, which is a place that wants to be one of extravagant welcome, we have to sort of sometimes go back and think about our DNA. And one of the things that makes us who we are is that we've always been in a place where you are all welcome to come and seek after, chase after Jesus, and you don't have to have the right answers about things. Um, you don't have to be certain about stuff. And so today, we're going to look at this story from Luke, not because there's a character in there necessarily that's doing something that is um, a hidden sort of quality that we want to, to sort of uh, emulate, but rather, I think Jesus is speaking to a group of folks that might be a little bit like us right now. And so what can we learn from this story about wineskins and uh, elbow patches? Um, my job affords me an opportunity. I work at Whitworth, uh, and it gives me the opportunity to talk with lots of folks about what's going on in life. Um, and because I love being around people, I was at Whitworth a lot last year. I probably could have stayed at home, but then that, would have been, that was a zoo. Um, I mean, it was great. It was fantastic. But my wife did all the heavy lifting with our kids, and so I think I would escape to Whitworth. Um, and because I had escaped Whitworth, I had a chance to talk with lots of folks. And so we would go on lots of walk and talks outside um, around the Hello Walk at Whitworth. And we would talk. And, and what became really clear as I was talking with folks is that they were, like, angry about the world. And they were frustrated. And they were anxious. And they were sad. Um, sometimes they were hopeful. Sometimes they were mournful. Um, and all for really good reasons. Um, and they could explain their reasons. They could explain why they felt this way or, or why, given my job, why they couldn't get something to me on time. Um, and, and they were all valid and they were all real. 
They were all valid and they were all real. But then there would be this weird twist in the conversation and somebody would get upset about mask mandates or something along this line and they would use this phrase, I can't even. Do you know this phrase? <laughs> I can't even say it without moving. I'll try. I can't even. It's like, I can't even. <laughs> I can't even believe that somebody would think this. I can't even. Right? Um, and what was interesting about that is uh, when I'm not being a middle manager, uh, I actually have a PhD in communication studies, rhetoric. Uh, and actually, my research is about empathy. So I'm really interested in how people understand each other in order to make meaning in the world. So when I have a conversation with somebody and they say, I can't even, I'm always fascinated by that. Because I imagine, you can't imagine that someone have a different idea than you? You can't imagine that the world might be different for different sorts of folks? Like, what's going on here? And one of the things I, I think I would suggest is um, that the scale of our lives have become almost unmanageable. And what I mean by that is we have access at this point in human history to more information, more ideas, more people, people, uh, than we've ever had. And everything is enormous. Everything is enormous. And how do you make sense of enormity? How do you make sense of, I think uh, John said it well, the world being on fire? How do you make sense of people being so angry all the time? How do you make sense of all of this stuff? And from my, uh, from my perspective, as somebody that researches how we use empathy to communicate, how do you make sense of a world when you actually don't get to interact with each other? Which is necessary for us to be able to empathize, right? So what does that look like? Um, there's, a, there's a person named Simon Sinek, uh, talks about leadership stuff, and he says this really well. He says, uh, by its very nature, scale creates distance, and at a distance, human concepts start losing their meaning. And I want us to noodle on this for a second. Because I think one of the things that we have attempted to do as a community here at Newcom is we went online and we did all these things, right? We, we tried to figure out ways to approximate what it means to be with each other in the same place. The same place, not space, not this like... I often joke that when I was a kid, we prayed for hedges of protection around everything. Do you remember this, like, right? A hedge of protection. Can I just get a hedge of protection right here? And, a hedge and we were just these arborists for Jesus, right? <laughs> and I look back and I joke about that, right? But 20 years from now, our kids are going to be like, were you all astronauts? Because all you ever said up front was, we just want to open up this space. Let's just open up space, right? And the reason I draw attention to that is to say, one of the things that's really interesting about understanding people is that when you are in a place a physical, material place, there are different things that you can notice. Their eyes, right? Their voices, the way they move, right? When we get at a distance, when we scale up, when we can no longer be in the same places, things become more abstract. And abstract is just another way of saying less familiar. So I want to say that in a way that is less teacherly. We live in a world where we're actually less familiar with humans. 
one of the one of the concepts in my research uh, comes from lots of different folks, psychologists, sociologists, um, and it's this idea of what we call holding places or holding spaces. And the idea here is that in order to understand somebody else, in order to develop empathy, we need to be able to be in a space, in a, in a location physically with them that allows us to see how and why they interact with the world in the way they do, right? Empathy is the ability to feel along with somebody about the way the world is working for them, which means you have to share with them the things that are informing how they're thinking, how they're feeling, how they're working. And one of the things that's really interesting is that these holding places or holding spaces often emerge when people demonstrate curiosity and compassion towards each other. Really simple stuff, like when I ask you a question, like, how do you feel? Why do you feel that way? Right? The idea here is that in order for us to understand how the other is working in the world, we need to be in a, in, in a, in a, in a place with them where we can actually engage in that work to figure out the things that they believe, why they believe them, what they share, what we don't share, what they think that might be helpful to my own life, right? Many of us who have ever learned how to play an instrument or been coached in a sport, like you know how this works, right? The coaches or the teachers that work best for you are the ones that can identify how you're interacting with the world and talk to it, right? And have you ever seen coaches like my favorite thing is like once you start to get in sync with like a coach or a teacher and you listen to what they say and it's like total nonsense, but everybody gets it, go! And you're like, oh yeah, right. And you do this complex set of things, right? And it's not because there's some magic there, it's because you and that person share the same kind of things. You share the same ideas about how the world works and the ways to interact with it. And so empathy is wildly important for us to learn anything, but especially if we want to learn from people that think differently than us. Uh, one philosopher says it this way, though. The problem with empathy is that you have to count people right in most matters. And what he means by that is you have to believe that folks have reasons for things just like you have reasons for things. I can't even. Mm. You can't believe that somebody has an idea about something? Like, I don't, I mean, you need to look in the mirror, right? Um, I can't even. But we have to. In order for us to understand other people, we have to start with the assumption that you're like me, which means fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And two, that you have reasons for stuff. None of that means I have to agree with you or like it or any of that kind of stuff, but it just means I actually have to think of you as a human. But what kind of world do we live in? This world that's abstract and too big. And so we are less familiar with even what it means to be human anymore. And I think this makes total sense why I picked this passage then. Um, just kidding. Uh, so Jesus is at this dinner party. Uh, and I don't know. My, my, my image of Jesus has changed over the years. Uh, sometimes I think he's like really exasperated all the time. Other times I think he's like completely oblivious to what's going on and he just like, I need to say this, I'm going to ignore everybody. Um, but those are both like from my own sort of messed up wacky beliefs. Instead I think Jesus is this like incredibly sincere and honest person who really tries to like bring people together. And so he's at this party and the story is really about a group of folks 
that are in different stages of life, right? There's some disciples, some tax collectors, some Pharisees. They're in different stages of life. They have competing worldviews and values. Um, they, even in the midst of all these differences, they still claim the same source for their ideas, right? They all still claim allegiance to Yahweh. They're generationally diverse, I would imagine. Um, they have different financial realities, cultural expressions, probably have different ideas about identity. All of these things vary greatly. And in this short passage, Luke brings us into this story where Jesus is talking to a really divided community, a polarized group of people, right, that can't find common locations. They can't figure out holding spaces to understand each other. And into this group of people that's really diverse, Jesus gives two examples, mending, um, mending an old shirt or jacket with a piece of cloth and new wine and new wineskins. Now, typically, um, if you've been around church, uh, typically these stories, which also appear in Mark and Matthew, are used to describe um, they don't end with the line, the old, the old is better. They just end with Jesus saying the wineskins. And so those verses have typically been used to say, look, Jesus is doing a new thing. It's not going to fit into the old ways of being. Get on the train, right? Um, and I think that that would be a fantastic analysis if you just didn't read. Um, but it doesn't end there in Luke, right? It ends with, but old wine is better. And it's that line that reminds us that Jesus isn't Roman. He's Jewish, right? The notion that the old is less effective than the new, that the next thing is better, that's like a Western idea. That's linear thinking, A to B to C, next, 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 next. Je that's not Jesus, right? Jesus' whole shtick is let's get back to the garden, right? He lives in a different kind of world. And so he says this line at the end, he says, nah, new wine, new wineskins, old wine, old wineskins, old wine's better. Like what, like, I, I just, I, I imagine all these folks sitting down, Jesus leans back. Okay, maybe in my imagination, Jesus is pretty cool. He leans back, right? He looks around, he starts telling this story, right? And all his like progressive, tradition-challenging, woke disciples are like, yeah, listen to this, listen to this. This is a moment I realize I'm getting older because I don't see this a lot, but um, <laughs> such is life. Um, Right? Listen to this. Okay? And they're all shaking their heads. Yeah, looking around at the Pharisees. Yeah. Right? Can you even? Um, but then he gets to the end of the story, and then all, like, the, all the folks, all the Pharisees, all the people that are trying to conserve tradition, that have found hope in these disciplines, uh, in this way of life that is ancient, right? Then all of a sudden, they, this whole time they've been going, no, 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 no. And then he gets to the end and says, old wine is better. Like, yeah, absolutely. Right on. That's what we thought. And then Jesus just lets it sit there. And I think the reason he lets it sit there, that he lets these people that are divided generationally in terms of their beliefs, in terms of how they think things should be done, in terms of when they think you should fast or shouldn't fast, right? I think he lets it sit there because he wants to remind them that you were so certain in your views about who God is and who I am that you never actually ask the question, might I have relationships with other people? Might I have relationships with folks beyond your little tribe? Might I have other siblings, or might you have other siblings that I'm caring for, right? 
you were so interested in getting validation for the, the correctness of your views that you never stopped to ask the question, don't I love those folks too? Right? Don't I love those folks too? Um, one of the things this brings up is something that um, Peter Enns, who writes in the book called The Sin of Certainty, he talks about this idea of when we hang on too tightly to our beliefs, okay? When we make our beliefs into idols. And this is, a, this is an interesting idea. Um, but he writes this, he says, when we confuse God with our thoughts about God, those thoughts can become idol-like, getting in the way of the real thing, hindering rather than aiding a life of faith. And it's easy, it's easy, Inns talks about this too, it's easy to make idols out of the things that we believe when we don't have to do it in front of others. So let's tie these two ideas together, right? When we are living in a world where we're separated from each other, it's really easy to hold to idols that we make out of our beliefs because they're not really getting checked by anybody. We're not in a space where somebody says, I don't know if it works that way for me. Let's talk about this, right? I don't know, I'm not positive. That's Jesus right there. That's not my experience. Let's talk about this. It's easy to make our beliefs into idols when there's no community that's checking them, when there's no conversation, when there's no empathizing with other folks that have different experiences with God, right? Doesn't, we, we avoid refinement and instead just come with like maintenance. This is the thing I believe and I'm going to hold tight to it. And the thing with idols is that uh, you have to start protecting them and you have to keep maintaining them. And here's why. Because if they're wrong, you're wrong. And so you spend all your time maintaining them and you spend all your time making sure that they're okay, right? And I... I'm really sympathetic to this because I probably do it too. Like I have certain beliefs that I'm just like, ah, it's got to be this way or the highway. And it makes sense in a, in a world that's so big and vast that we're trying to grab onto stuff that we can hang on to, right? That we can grab onto ideas that we can make sense of, that we can talk about our faith or our jobs or our relationships or whatever it is that you want to do, that we can talk about them in ways that make sense because everything is spinning so fast, Right? And so it makes sense why we make them. They give us safety, right? We often read the stories in the Old Testament about the Hebrew people making idols, and we're just like, oh, why are they so stupid? Why are they doing this? I can't even. Yeah, you can. When things get uncertain and scary, you grab onto something. When things get uncertain and scary, you grab onto stuff. And the more scared you are and the more anxious you are and the more like insecure you are, the tighter you hang on to stuff because it seems to make sense of things, right? And so we have this moment where Jesus is speaking in to this group of folks who have basically set him up with this question of, we fast and do it this way. Isn't that right? Tell us we're right. Tell us that our view of the world is the right one. And there's another group saying, that's the old way. Tell us the new way is better. And instead, Jesus just says, eh, you know, 
you're missing the point. You're missing the whole thing. You're missing the whole thing. And the, and the problem is you're going to miss the whole thing as long as you have idols about things, right? As long as you keep making idols out of your beliefs about me, you're going to keep missing the whole point of this thing. Um, I was interested. I was, I was trying to look through. This took me about, I don't know, 12 seconds. Um, I wanted to find ridiculous comments on, like, social media sites about people claiming what a Christian should look like. And so I have this slide of, like, this. I just literally looked for a second and these are like some of the posts. And they were from all different kinds of things about different sorts of issues, right? Like if this person was really a Christian, they would do dot, 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 right? Which, as you know, that can be like, I, I didn't know we had so many beliefs about everything. Like snow tires are siping. I, I didn't know that, like, but that's probably a thing we could make theological, right? Um, these sorts of Christians have no place in, and then you just fill in like the professional setting, right? These Christians have no place in, dot, 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 education, medicine, Music. I love how people believe their brand of Christianity is the only true brand, and if you don't agree with them, you're the bad guy. All of these certainties about what it means to be a Christian, right? All of these idols that we set up that if you're a Christian, it must look like this. If you're doing it right, it must look like this. And again, we, we have these beliefs because it's, the, the world's crazy. People are trying to do the right thing, Right? We're trying to figure out how we love each other well, how we do what we're supposed to do, how we follow after Jesus, and it gets really confusing. And the less time we are around each other, the more confusing it gets. And so what we end up doing is we end up breaking into these small groups of people, right? We find people that agree with us. We talk to people that are like-minded. This isn't that strange. This has been happening. I mean, this is how people got here, right? This is a constant tension of the human experience is that you hang out with people that are like you and yet the world is not only filled with people that are like you. And you have to deal with this tension of what does it mean to actually live a life of extravagant welcome where all folks get to be together. It is really hard. And when it gets really hard, our tendency is to pull away and to go to those groups that make us feel the safest, Right? And so Jesus is talking to a group of people that have broken themselves up into tribes, right? That have decided what counts and what doesn't count. That have made idols out of the beliefs that they hold rather than asking the question of who is God. They're just asking the question, are my practices that I think come from God correct? They're not asking a question like who, 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 who is God. It's just, I think God's like this. Let's start with that assumption. Can you tell me if this is, if this is okay? Right? They're missing the big question. And as an aside, this is a side note here, uh, oftentimes at New Community, we talk about this idea of like empire, right? So Rome is this example in the New Testament and the way that it sort of like keeps people at bay, keeps them oppressed, creates conditions that are unimaginable, uh, creates suffering, right? And we talk about the way empire continues to work in the world today, and it's important for us to talk about that. But here's the thing I want to remind you. Empire loves tribes. Empire loves that you only talk to five other people. Empire loves that you say things at Thanksgiving. I can't even. Empire loves it because it's way easier to manage people if they don't ever gather together and work as a team. If there's no collective, it's just a lot easier to control. So get mad. Do whatever you want. You know, hate post on Fox News. I don't care. Nobody with money cares. 
Nobody controlling anything cares. It's great. Right? Argue. Be in your little tribes. Empire loves it because nothing gets done for the kingdom in that story. So Jesus sees this group of folks that are divided, that are angry, that are frustrated, that are anxious, just like us. And he tells this story. And I think the reason he tells this story is to remind them of a few things, right? One, if you have an old jacket and you want to put a new, you know, you want to patch up a hole, you got to do some work to that cloth. You got to weather it out. You got to beat it up. You got to make it softer, more supple, right? You got to ease into it, right? Am I describing Thanksgiving dinner with your grandparents? This is a great turkey, Nana. <laughs> now, why did you vote for this person again? Right? You got to work it, okay? You got to smooth it out. You got to make it able to fit there, right? Old and new, right, left, it can work together. It just takes energy and effort. And we're lazy. So we just slap something on and it tears the crud out of the whole thing, right? And then he brings up this thing about wine skins. And I know about you, but I love to drink all of my wine out of goat skin. It's really where the flavor is. Um, and so he tells the story, he says, look, if you take new wine and you got this old wine skin and you put it in there, this is just going to burst, right? And the reason it's going to burst is because the wine is like fermenting, it's maturing. It's going to blow this goat skin up because it's not done yet. Okay? And if you take old wine and put it in new wineskins, that's just weird. I, that's like a waste of your time, right? Um, so instead, I don't know, new wine goes in new wineskins. And old wine can stay in old wineskins. And old wine's better. So what does that all mean? Well, I think it means he's saying, hey, you forgot one real key point here in your questions, which was, Wine is good. Why are you spending all your time worried about its containers? Why do you care so much about wineskins? Wine is good. Wine is good. I am good. Right? They missed the point, and we missed the point. I have this belief and this value, and it has to be the way that it is. Okay. Cool. What does that have to do with God? Right? No, no, no. It's God. I can't have it any other way. I have to believe that the story of who Jesus is happened in this way. I can't believe it any other way. Okay, cool. What are you going to do with the guy that believes something else? Who also loves Jesus? And we forget that this, the point of the story isn't like, you know, wine conservership. Like, how are you going to store it effectively, right? The point of the story is, what is good? God is good. How does he work in our lives? And I think one of the things that I always get frustrated with at the church, and I get frustrated with myself probably more than anything, is we act as if we don't know what this looks like. Fruits of the Spirit, right? Do any of you have that friend who you honestly, it's really difficult to figure out if you agree on anything, and you look at their life and you go, I just can't be mad at them. They care for the poor. They take care of their kids. They take care of other people's kids. They love people really well, and they still voted for Joe Biden. <gasps> you didn't see that one coming, did you? Um, right? Oh, man, this guy, horrible taste in most everything, but geez, oh, he loves people really well. He's so thoughtful. Always texts me when, he, when he's praying for me, right? 
It's because it's not really like it's the most impossible thing ever, right? We can actually imagine that people do great things and that can be loving Jesus and disagree with us. But in, when we live in a world that's incredibly abstract, when it's so big that we only interact through things that aren't human, I know that many of you find your keyboard to be a place of like human experience, but it's difficult to see that in the wild. Right? The more that we are not in physical places together, the more abstract we become, the more difficult it is to actually engage with folks that think differently than us. Um, I went to Western. Do you guys know where Western is? Vikings. Go Vikings. Now I'm a pirate. I've realized over time that I love seafaring things, apparently. Um, and I had a... I had a relatively nuanced understanding of college. Uh, I loved campus ministry, would spend most of my time doing that if I could, and I felt that classes should be mostly optional. Um, so I would occasionally attend, and they seemed to be great. Um, but I would spend most of my time just hanging out with people. And so I remember in the spring, usually, or when the weather was nice, because these sorts of folks don't like to do things when the weather's not nice. Um, there would be these, like, uh, street preacher guys that would come with, like, the really horrendous signs. Have you guys ever seen these folks? Uh, and there was a lovely gentleman named Bible Jim. Um, I, and he would, he would hold this horrible sign, and he would make a circle in the ground, uh, and he would have a whistle. And if you got into a circle, he'd blow the whistle, right? And he'd be like, hey, you're offending me. Back up. And he would just say these horrible things to people, right? Um... And so whenever those folks would show up, I was like always fascinated because it just drew this huge crowd, right? So as a young person who was like, was squarely, you know, putting away their idols of belief, right? I wanted to see why is this working this way? Like, well, sure, sure. Some of the stuff on his sign, it's like really offensive and, you know, maybe causing trauma. We didn't say trauma back then. I, I, don't, I don't know what we said. Uh, like maybe this is hurting people's feelings or whatever, but like, you know, a lot of the stuff he's saying is true, right? Like, I was trying to be a good Christian young man. Like, I got solid beliefs. So I was really just mostly interested in, like, <laughs> is this an effective ministry strategy, like ins insulting people from the street? Oh, I should observe. Um, so I had, I, it was, it was really more of a question of, like, well, I have my idols and you have your idols, and I thought they were the same, but this seems strange to me. That's not really my style to just, like, yell profanity at folks walking across the street. Um, and then I remember there was, a, there was a, a young man, I think his name was Thomas, he had been in a few classes of mine, and he was a, a, he was a, a, a gay man, and he had talked about this in class a few times. And I remember Thomas walked up to Bible Jim's little circle and just started bawling, like, like crying, right? Like that's, you, you know the one I'm saying, like, if we actually saw humans, the kind of crying that makes you say, oh my gosh, right? And he was just shaking, shaking. Why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? And I think you probably want this part of the story to be me going, yes, why? But instead, I was thinking, well, I know why, Thomas, but maybe he's not doing it the most effective way because I had idols about things that I believed, and he didn't fit into it, right? 
And I wish the story was different, that I was somehow this like incredibly thoughtful, progressive young man, but I wasn't. I knew why Thomas was getting yelled at, and I just thought maybe it was ineffective. That's not the best way to reach somebody, Bible Jim. But as I stood there, the creator God of the universe, the spirit that is over the water, began to work in me. And he said, how are you so sure? This is one of my kids. Do you see how they're being racked and destroyed? How are you so sure that you're right? How are you so sure that you're right? Thomas eventually uh, got to that point of crying where you like can't say words anymore. You know this? You've seen this? Right? And ran off. And I chased him. And I never found him. I just chased after him. And later on that night, I was with another campus uh, intern, ministry I was a part of. And we were sitting there talking, debriefing about Bible gym. And he looked over at me and he said, hey, I saw you out there in Red Square. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. And he said, I saw you chase after that one kid. Why did you do that? It's part of the story where you wish I had like some moment with Jesus during the middle of the day where he explained to me why I had chased after that kid. But instead I just said, I don't have any clue. I didn't have any, I don't know what I was thinking. And so the rest of the night, we had a great conversation about sexuality and identity and who people are and what does it mean and all that kind of stuff. And I don't remember any of that because I was still in this place where I don't know. But here's the part I remember is that at the end of the conversation, after most of the folks had gone home and I was getting ready to leave, that this intern looked at me and said, you know, I never had anybody chase after me before. And I was like, well, cool. I, what does this mean? He's like, I wish somebody had talked to me because I'm gay. And I don't know what I think about it. And I wish somebody had chased after me. That's the end of the story. My views didn't change right then and there. I didn't become enlightened. But what I realized was that at the very least what I could do is I could chase after God. I could chase after people and love them, even if I didn't know exactly what I thought about the whole thing. And that's the point of the, the kingdom, right? At Newcom, we love to say we don't have to have all the right answers, and we say things like, I love that we can live in the gray area. Yes, we can. God's not in the gray area. Do you understand that? Like, he's fine. He's got this all figured out. We're trailing behind him, and he's okay with that. Right? We're always trailing a little bit behind. Sometimes the best we can do is chase after people and just say, uh, I don't have any really great things to say here, but I, I love you. Right? I think I just sounded like that part in Elf. Uh, I love you. <laughs> uh, I, I want to get to know you. I want to create a holding space where we can figure this out together. Sometimes we just got to chase after each other, right? So I want to finish with, I want to finish with a really practical, small thing I think that we can do to, to chase after folks and to create these holding spaces where we can learn from each other, right? I think there's a lot of value in diversity and difference 
and that there's no better sort of like reminder to the world that God is good than to be in a community that can live in the tension of not all thinking the same thing, right? So I want to give us one little practice maybe that we can do. I'm often criticized, and rightfully so, that I give almost no practical application to anything I ever talk about, right? It's just like, it ends with some weird statement. It's like, I think that was good. Um, So today I'm going to practice trying to give you like a take-home, okay? And this take-home comes from that discipline that is incredibly interested in the human condition, improvisational comedy. Um, And the exercise is this, yes and. Yes, and. And yes, and is this, you know, very simple idea that you say, if you're doing improv, right, that whatever the person next to you sets up, whatever kind of crazy situation, you go, yes, and you start to, you start to embody that, and then you add to it, right? So you say yes, and then you add stuff. And I think yes, and is what I call a small good thing. I'm really interested in my life, and probably because I have failed in grand, horrible ways, that now I'm always like, okay, John, try to fall in small good. That when you, in, so yes, and is a small good thing that you can do, right? That when you engage with someone, you can say, yeah, okay. And yes validates their experience. It says, I want to work with what your experiences are. Yes, tell me this. Okay, okay. And then and allows you to then share yourself, right? And it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to graft onto each other. Sometimes it's different. Sometimes you have different experiences with the same thing. Sometimes your experience in this instance is much different than somebody else's. And you say, yes, okay, that must have been your experience. And here's my experience. And let's figure out what that means together, right? It's a small good thing. It's not even a whole sentence, right? It's not even a whole sentence. Just yes and, right? This sort of mantra. Yes and, yes and, yes and. Okay, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Uh... Do you think, I mean, I think we're in a time when people are like really tired and really scared and really uncertain. Is that a fair assessment? Am I going out on a limb here? Okay, just wanted to check my assumptions. Uh, and we're, and as a community, like we're stepping into this new reality of like, what does it look like to be in a moment when uh, things are so divided and polarized? And I can't help but think that if I think about new community and what I love about it and what I love about you all is that we are a people that can chase after other folks and at the very least tell them that we love them. And we can chase after people even if we don't know exactly what we think about stuff, right? And then we can fill our pews with folks that disagree about things because the point isn't the point isn't the wineskins. The point's the wine. You all. The point is you all. God's children together, figuring out how to make it work. But to do that, we have to be a community that cares about other people. A yes and community. A community that seeks out opportunities to be with others to figure out how we wrestle with ideas and think about stuff. It's not easy. It's not always safe. Oh. It's not always without pain. Uh, but I don't know if there's like another way to do it.
I love being with you all. I love the ways that you challenge me. I love the ways that you make me think about new stuff. I love the ways that you make me bust up my idols. Some of you are really close to me in this room, and you do that really well. Because like some of you, I am a wildly, <laughs> uh, I'm a wildly anxious, insecure person, right? Who, con who thinks the entire universe is just bent towards my own destruction, right? Which is this sort of like narcissism that infects all of us, right? Like, the whole world's against me, um, which is a weird hero fantasy, right? Um, and I just love being in a place where like, I get to be a total screw up and not know stuff. And you all challenge me and help me know who Jesus is better, not because you have it all figured out, but because you're you. Because you're you, and God loves you, and I can learn from that, right? Let's be a yes and community, a community that finds space to be with each other so that we can wrestle with all of this stuff. Does that sound okay? Does that sound good? Okay. I haven't followed this at all. I'm completely over time. Let's just pray. Um, but I did give something practical. Yes, and. I mean, that's like, you can take that to the bank. Um, <laughs> uh, for those of you who did ministry in the early 90s, I just realized that I might have fact tried to like reinvigorate sort of like the plays that we used to do as like evangelistic plays, right? I just realized I just encouraged you all like, Go be improv improvisationalist for Jesus. Go out in the street and do little skits. Um, I like that. I'm going to stay with that. Uh, can I pray for you all? Is that okay? Family, may Yahweh, creator God of the universe, make space to hold you. May you place your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. May the Spirit of God animate your steps. Family, be rooted and grounded in love, curiosity, and compassion. Seek to empathize with others, knowing that even our most precious idols will never compare to the breadth and length, height and depth of the love of Christ. New community, go in peace, chasing after the Lord and allowing your imperfect theologies to be refined by his perfect love. Amen.